Hey, good morning. Welcome, welcome to Mornings with Mac. Hope you've got a copy of God's Word, and we're going to look at the third saying of Christ from the cross, or the third word, as it has been often called. It's the word of compassion. So get your copy of God's Word. Look with me at John chapter 19. Uh, and while you're doing that, let me share with you really why I'm doing these. I'm doing the number one to just encourage you through these days. A lot of people need encouragement right now. They need some reassurance. I want to do that for you if I can in some kind of way. The other thing is this, I want to give you something that will occupy your mind for the day out of the word of God. Um, put your mind on these things, Paul says, whatever's good, whatever's honorable, whatever's pure, Put your mind on this. Let your mind dwell on this. Turn the news off and um, even turn the TV off and, and redeem the time. Use these days uh, to grow spiritually. Um, the third thing that I'm wanting to do in this is I'm wanting to show you something of how you can study scripture. If I can get you into the habit over these days of getting into the Word of God first thing in the morning, I will have considered myself a success if I can get you to begin a quiet time with the Lord like this. So let me let me do this. Let me pray. I've not done that before, but let me pray for you. Let me pray for us this morning. Father, thank you for the early morning hour when our mind is fresh and our body is renewed and we've rested and uh, Lord, we come to you at the first of this day, early in the morning. You're our priority. That's what we're saying when we come to you. And your word is a priority. We need to begin our day, Father, with you. Help us this day that everything that flows out of this time together will honor you. Be with those who are fearful. Be with those who are concerned and anxious. Be with those, Father, and may they understand this morning that you are the God of compassion. For we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. John chapter 19, look at verse 25, if you will. Therefore, the soldiers did these things. Now, I know because I know that Rome would put together a quaternion, four soldiers who were experts in the art of execution. There were at least four soldiers assigned to Christ that day, that morning. Now watch this, because here is, here is the, here's the other side of that. You've, you've got these, these odd parallels that are going on here. Uh, you'll find that throughout this crucifixion scene. You've got these four soldiers, but then you've got four women that are there. Verse 25, but standing by the cross. That's an interesting statement right there. They were standing by the cross. His mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clophus, and Mary Magdalene. And then you're going to have John standing there as well. But it begins, this third saying of Christ from the cross begins really with these four women and the main one that was there that your attention is drawn to is Mary. You're first introduced to Mary in scripture back in Luke chapter one. Luke, the physician uh, who um, researched all these things, who went out and did some 
investigation, we're told, for Theophilus, uh, most likely because he was a medical doctor, interviewed Mary, and Mary opened up and shared with him all that had happened. Uh, Verse 26 of Luke chapter 1, the the angel Gabriel comes uh, to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin. Now she's in Nazareth. She's a virgin, which tells me something about her. She's engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, uh, of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. Uh, But she was very perplexed at this statement, kept pondering. She wasn't perplexed at Gabriel. She was perplexed at the statement that he made. He kept pondering. She kept and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. And the angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God. Now that is what was puzzling her because he came in and said to her, greetings, favored one. Well, she wondered what, How can I be a favored one of the Lord? And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and and shall name him Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. Now, you know the rest. That's the Christmas story. It begins right there. We're introduced to Mary right there. She knows this is a miraculous birth. She knows this is of God. And her response in all of this is in verse eight. She says, behold the bond slave of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. She says, listen, I'm God's servant. Whatever God desires to do, whatever God uh, sovereignly deems to do, I'm, I'm here. Be it according to your word. Well, of course, you know, Christ is born. And when he is eight days old, they take him up to the temple Uh, to be circumcised, to dedicate him to the Lord. And there's an old man in the temple there by the name of Simeon. We're told he was righteous, he was devout. I am in Luke chapter two, verse 25, that he was righteous and devout and he was looking for the consolation. He was looking for the salvation of Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death Uh, before he had seen the Lord's Christ, the Lord's anointed, the Messiah. So when Mary and Joseph walk in with the baby Jesus, he knows immediately because the Holy Spirit is on him. The Holy Spirit now in some way indicates this is Messiah. And of course he comes and he speaks a word over Christ. And then in verse 34 of Luke chapter two, he turns and he speaks to Mary specifically And he says this, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed and a sword will pierce even your own soul. Well, there you have what is going on in John's gospel. In John chapter 19, as Mary is standing there by the cross, watching her firstborn child crucified, watching the agony that he's in, watching him literally bleed to death, watching him gasping for air. Every breath was a gasp. Now in John's gospel, 
You're introduced to Mary at the wedding feast of the Cana of Galilee in John chapter two. Um, You really don't get a narrative, a birth narrative in John's gospel, but now she is at a wedding feast. Jesus and some of his disciples show up and um, the people run out of wine. It's an embarrassing moment for the people Uh, It's a moment where they are mortified. Oh no, we've got all of these guests and we don't have anything for them to drink. And uh, the Bible tells us this, and this is the way John introduces her to us, is that she goes, the mother of Jesus comes to him and says to him, they have no wine. And Jesus looks at her and says, woman, what does that have to do with us? My hour has not yet come. Now, if you think that is a rude way to speak to your mother, it was not. It was colloquial. It was a common way. It would be the way we in the South would say, ma'am. And I I had to say, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, or I got my dad's hand. Um, It was a way of saying that. It was was really a a word of saying respect. Ma'am, what... What, what do you want me to do with this? Now, the interesting thing to me is this. She turns around. She doesn't even respond to him. She just turns around and looks at the servants and says, whatever he says to you, do it. Which is, that's a sermon in itself. Whatever he says to you, do it. Well, she understood in some way. I don't think she knew that Jesus could take wine, uh, take water and turn it into wine, but she knew this. I can take whatever problem or issue I have to Jesus. I can go to him with that whatever issue there is, whatever embarrassment there is, whatever heartbreak there is, whatever uh, concern or anxiety I have. Listen, let me tell you right here, whatever concerns you today, you can go to Jesus. Now, that's Mary. And uh, you see her here with these three other women, and John is standing there. Now, I'm going to tell you something that I thought early this morning as I began my devotional time here. This is what I thought. Where are her other four sons? Jesus had four brothers, our half-brothers. We know one to be James because he writes the little epistle of James. He becomes head of the church in Jerusalem. Jude was his brother who writes the little epistle of Jude, And then there were two other brothers and there were at least two sisters because the New Testament refers to Jesus's sisters in the plural. So at least two. Where are the other children? Why aren't they there? Why does Jesus turn to John and give him the care of his mother when she has four other sons? Well, I don't know. Maybe maybe you understand and know that. Well, there there is Mary. Now let's turn to John because John is there. And back now in John chapter 19, when Jesus saw his mother, verse 26, and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby. Now that's John. That is John's way of referencing himself. Uh, John was part of those disciples that fled. If you'll just look back in uh, Matthew's gospel, If you'll get back to Matthew's gospel and verse 26, uh, chapter 26, Matthew 26, uh, in that upper room where Jesus had 
that last meal with his disciples, that Passover meal, Jesus turns to them. After they sing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives and Jesus said to them, verse 31, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike down the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. There's the Old Testament reference right there. Uh, it uh, it uh, was a reference to a prophecy about what would happen. Now, Peter's going to speak up. As usual, he says, even though all may fall away, I can see Peter right now, all these guys may fall away, they may leave you, they may run away from you, uh, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, truly I say to you that this very night before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter said to him, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. Now watch, this is what I want you to see. Verse 35, Matthew 26. At the end of verse 35, we read, all the disciples said the same thing too. They, everyone, that included John. But now stay right there in the 26th chapter of Matthew and look down at uh, verse 56. They come to arrest Jesus. And um, of course, Peter draws out his sword and struck the slave. And Jesus says to him, put, you know, put your sword up. Uh, and uh, they are coming with Jesus to arrest him. And we read this at the end of verse 56. Then all the disciples fled him, uh, left him and fled. That includes John. Even though Peter is going to follow at a distance, even though John is going to follow at a distance, they fled, they left. But now what I want you to see in, in John chapter 19 is that at some point in the early morning hours of that uh, morning, John comes back. The first of these disciples to do that. John makes his way back and he comes there and he is by the cross as well. He is there with Jesus's mother. When Jesus then saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said, uh, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to his disciple, behold your mother. And from that uh, time on, from that hour on, we're told the disciple took her into his own household. John comes back. Listen, Jesus gives Mary the compassion that assures. And Jesus gives John the compassion that restores. He restores John. He doesn't rebuke him. He doesn't fuss at him. He doesn't look at him and say, John, where did you go? I thought you promised like Peter, you were never gonna leave me. You just like Peter, you ran off just like everybody else. He doesn't do any of that. He simply looks at John and he says, I've got a task and I've got a job for you. And he gives him that job of caring for his mother. Now, let's look at Jesus because I want you to see three quick things here. Jesus is in control. He's in control. He looks to his mother and he says, woman, behold your son. Then he says to the disciple, behold your mother. He's in control. Do you remember back in Matthew chapter 27 
where we're told there in verse 34 that they gave him wine to drink mixed with gall. That is, we know from Mark's gospel, it was mixed with myrrh. Gall means something bitter. They had taken wine, they mixed it with myrrh, and they did that because it kind of became a type of narcotic. It will dull your senses. It would dull your senses. It would numb you uh, to what's going on. It would kind of make you a little bit out of your mind. And after tasting it, he was unwilling to drink it. Do you know why? Because in John's Gospel, chapter eighteen, uh, verse eleven, Jesus said to Peter, "Put the sword into the sheath." the cup which the Father has given me. He did not take that which was offered him because now he had received the cup that the Father had given him. Shall I not drink of it? Jesus was saying this, I'm not gonna take anything that will dull my senses because I'm going to be fully and completely in control of my faculties so that I will experience totally everything that's in the cup the Father has given me. Jesus is in control of himself. But Jesus is also, listen, he is in command, in charge of the situation. Do you know when Jesus looks at John and he says, woman, behold, or when he speaks to Mary and he says, woman, behold your son, it's a command. It's an imperative in the Greek. It's a directive from the cross. Jesus looks and he's still giving instruction. This is your son. And he looks at John and he says, behold your mother. Now that caught my attention too because those were the words of Pilate when he took Jesus out there from the praetorium, stood him on the steps and he cried out to the crowd, anthropos, behold the man. Jesus here says, Behold the mother of you. Behold your mother. It's a command. Jesus, listen, Jesus is not only in control of himself, Jesus is in charge of the situation. That's gonna be very important in the days to come as we continue to look toward these words from Christ. I want you to remember that. He is in charge of the situation. The Romans are not in charge of this. The Jewish leaders are not in charge of this. Jesus is in charge of the situation. All right, here's the last thing, and it is this, he cares. Now, you just have to stop and think. Here's Christ on that cross gasping for air. Here's Christ on that cross um, in the horror of crucifixion, in the dizziness that comes with nearly passing out. Uh, with the cramps, with the thirst, uh, with the fever, with the torment, with the torture, with the public shame, with the humiliation of all of this, he looks down in the midst of what he's going through. When there should be compassion for him, he is in the process of still taking care of those who are his. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, as I wrap this up. Listen to what Peter said. Cast all your cares on him because he cares.
cares for you. In the midst of the greatest evil the hands of man can do, the hand of God is at work. And the hands, the nail-pierced hands of Christ still reach out in care to you.